0: Anyhow, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, Acts 13. Well, that's a passage that uh, you want to know about because it's a very important passage in missions. And as you, you are going for missions, which is a great idea for the church, I think you need to know and get the idea of this passage. It's the first international mission trip, the first official sending, the first overseas missionaries therefore a very important text in missions and if you open your bible to Acts 13, on your bulletin you will see three main points and we're going to go through them because the text goes through them and that's the plan uh, the pattern and the purpose in missions and we start with the plan verse 1. Now there was in the church uh, at Antioch uh, prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene Menai and a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. but they are worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they lay hands on them and send them off. And we're going to stop here for a moment. Question. Where does mission starts? Where do we see it in the text? Now, they were in the church of Antioch. That's how the text starts, doesn't it? See, mission starts in the church. And you need to remember that because uh, there are some who, after listening to a missionary or meeting with some exotic people from another country, go home. And while sitting in the bathtub dreaming, they kind of have this uh, really interesting feeling. Hey, you know what? I'd like some time to go and visit that church somewhere in China. Or maybe go be a missionary in Romania. Well, hey, Mom! I want to be a missionary. Do you have some Imodium tablets? Can we go to Sam's Club, buy some stuff, and we can go? Uh, in God's business, there are no tourists. There are no dreamers. There are no just visiting people that can get some type of a mission about mission. In God's kingdom, missions are done in the church and through the church. That's why this important text about mission starts in the church of Antioch. That's why if you want to do missions, contact the church because mission starts in the church. Now it's interesting to see and we need to look a little bit at this church and see what type of a church is God looking for when He wants to do missions. And the next words are start telling us about this church in Antioch. In the church of Antioch there were prophets and teachers and then you see the names of those. Now when you hear about a prophet or a teacher in a church, what does it tell you about that church? What was the main role of the prophet? Uh, To receive the revelation, the word from God, and deliver it to the other people. Now, what was the uh, main role of a teacher? Uh, To explain the word of God, the revelation from God. That means that in the church of Antioch, uh, the scriptures, the word of God, the revelation from God, had an important place. Uh, What else? Look at verse 2. While they are worshiping the Lord... In that church, worship, lifting up the name of Jesus was a priority right there while they were worshiping. And even more, while they were fasting. And fasting always involves prayer. Actually, that church strongly believed in the power of prayer. So much that they even asked people to fast. When you have the Word, and when you have the worship, and when you have prayer, guess who shows up? Look in the text. While they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, The Holy Spirit. Uh, Do you want to have the Holy Spirit show up in your life? Stay in the Word. Worship the Lord. Bend your knees in prayer. And He's going to show up. And when the Spirit shows up, He shows up with a specific purpose. Usually with a clear direction in your life. And look into the text. While they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, personally to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And here is, what's the call, next verse. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. They sent them off to do what? Next verse, verse 4. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went out to Seleucia and from there to Cyprus, that's another country. And they, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews and they had John to assist them. They are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to another group, from another city, from another nation. And that's what missions are all about, proclaiming the Word of God to other people. And that's what we're looking for when we do missions. Now a question I have, is harvest prepared for missions? Because we can talk and theorize all of these uh, uh, nice things that are written in scriptures, but unless we apply them. So I'm asking you the question, is harvest prepared for missions? Are you? I think you are. Why? Well, look at the four major characteristics of the church of Antioch. What were the four important elements that prompted the Spirit to come and send people into missions? One, faithfulness in studying and proclaiming the Word of God. Second, we just talked about, worship, lifting high the name of Jesus. Third, Prayer and fasting, which shows a firm belief in the power of prayer. And fourth, evangelism. They went out and they start sharing the good news about Christ with others. Now, they're the four pillars of the church of Antioch that combined made the explosion of the Spirit. Question, have you heard of those four pillars? Do you know of any church that proclaims and believes in those four pillars of faith? I think you do. And guess what? If you do, that means you have all the means, the call, the plan to go into missions. You are ready for missions. And not only ready you as a plural, as a church, but ready you in singular, as a person. You're ready for missions. And that's God's plan. It starts in a church with some individuals who are in the Word, who worship and pray, who receive a call to go, and that's His plan. And I know it works because it worked in my church. In the past five years of our existence, we boldly proclaimed the Word of God. We worshipped the Lord. We prayed and fasted and shared the good news. Actually, all of our 47 small groups that uh, uh, are covering about 92% of our church membership are all committed to a chain of fasting and prayer for the whole year. Why? Because we really believe, if you look into this text, before they send them, after they send them, when they come back, people were fasting and praying in the church of Antioch. And that's a secret that lots of believers are just ignoring it. Now in the States, you have something good that goes for you. That's fasting with an E in the word, meaning feasting. Oh, you do some great parties at the church. Especially if you know some Baptists that potlucks, you know. I mean, it's just incredible. And it's great to have parties. But hey, if you want to see some big-time explosions in your life, in your church, in your ministry, you better think about twice and start fasting. Because fasting can really move things out. So knowing that, we, we challenge our small groups to really cover our church in prayer and fasting. So every week there are two small groups that are determined to stay in this chain of prayer and fasting so every day there is one or two people from that small group covering that day the next day they are not two or three and the next day not two or three when the week is over the next small group comes and the next small group comes so that all the weeks of the year are covered in fasting and prayer. And I'm telling you God does miracles. Uh, God does miracles. Uh, uh, We're in the process of planning two new churches this year. Last year we assisted another church plant in Braila and revitalized two other old churches for Christ. That means the recipe works. Why? Because of us? No. Because of Him. When you are in the Word, when you are worshiping, you are fasting and praying and you are, have the desire to share the good news. The Spirit shows up. And when the Spirit shows up, things are happening around. Happening in you, first of all, and then around you. And that's, uh, that's God's plan. That's God's plan. Let's look at a pattern, the pattern in missions. And here we have three things that usually happen when you want to do missions. First of all, power encounter, spiritual warfare. Next verse. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, and if you are a new believer, uh, that's the time when Saul's name is changed into Paul, meaning the big time apostle Paul. And it's interesting to see that it is changed. In the context of missions, when you do work for God, God changes you. Not on the others, but changes you. Even your own identity, your perspective. Now Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand that the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. See, the gospel is good news, but the gospel is also bad news for the kingdom of darkness. A simple word about Christ can stir up a whole battle in the heavenlies with direct consequences on earth. You have no idea how powerful your testimony for Christ can be. You have no idea what incredible implications, what damages you produce behind the enemy lines. You have no idea what a gun you have in your hands when you open your mouth and speak about Christ. Why? Because missions, evangelism are powerful. They are power encounters. One Saturday morning, I had a meeting with some of our youth leaders at 7 o'clock. Around 8 o'clock, somebody breaks into the meeting, an unknown person, and uh, he says, uh, uh, I'm looking for the pastor. I said, well, here I am. Um, I want you, uh, pastor, to come and talk to me because I want to uh, receive Jesus in my life. So that's pretty strange. Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, you know, somebody comes to receive Jesus in his life. I said, okay, just, can you just wait for me outside? Let me finish the meeting and then I'll come and meet with you. After a few minutes and so on, the guy comes back and he says, Hey, uh, I I really want to receive Jesus in my life. (laughs) In my mind, give me a break. I mean, I'm preaching for months and weeks. I'm trying to challenge and provoke people to get Jesus in their life. And now, here he comes, Sunday morning, 8 o'clock, somebody wants to get Jesus in his life. For sure he wants to get some money either from you or the church. Probably he wants to do something. Whatever. That's baloney. Things like this not, not happen. I said, well, please wait till I'm finishing this meeting Then I'm going to talk, talk to you. Well, in five minutes he shows up again. He's very annoyed. I could see him and he says, listen, I want Jesus. I took him on the side. I told my guys I need to cancel this meeting, guys. Let's just wrap it, wrap it up and let me go talk to this guy. I said, tell me really what you want. I want Jesus. No, no, I want to know your agenda. What's behind it? I want Jesus. Okay, then tell me the story. Because there is always a story behind this type of strange behaviors. He says, well, last night I got out of prison. I was a deacon in the church of Satan. And he started telling me all kinds of things they have done in that group. Against churches, against pastors, against missionaries. Lots of things that I knew about. And he was personally involved in those things. After one of those attacks, while they were doing some rituals in the cemetery, someone saw them desecrating some graveyards, called the police and the police came and arrested him. They put him in prison. And once he got in prison, something happened. He continued to worship Satan, but after a while, the demons turned against him. So much so that he started to cut himself, to throw against the wall, to lose control, Uh, to get wounded. So they isolated him in a special cell. The psychiatrists came and called him crazy. The orthodox priest came and called him a demon possessed. So they left him there. He wanted to commit suicide but he couldn't being in a prison, not having any means to do it until one day when he did his usual one hour walk with his inmates. And one one of them turned to him and said, hey, you have a problem. I know the solution for your problem. When you get out of this prison, go search for a church of the Pocaits. That's the name in Romania they give to the evangelicals. The literal translation is the church of the Repenters. Go search for a church of the Repenters. Ask that a pastor to help you get Jesus. You need Jesus, man. So the guy went back into his prison cell and obviously he he couldn't stay still. He knew about Jesus because all of the actions in the past years were against Jesus. But how could he in the world turn to his enemy? Yet he realized that the only power capable to save him was Jesus. Because every time, whenever he was in a context where some people or some church or someone will speak about Jesus, he will get messed up. Even his group, when he wanted to attack somebody, when that person spoke about Jesus, they freak out. Because he knew that Jesus is more powerful than any other being and he could save him. So he decided to endure the torments of Satan until the last day in prison. And once he got out of prison, he took the train to the first big city, that was our city, he walked out in the morning, he asked a guy, what is the church of the Repenters? That guy showed it our church. And here he is, 8 o'clock in the morning, asking me to get Jesus in his life. Now, that's a really good deal for a pastor. But not when you have to do or deal with a demon-possessed man. I knew that dealing with uh, such people is not an easy thing. I was alone and honestly, I was afraid. But I was, you know, calculating and thinking through and, hey, this guy really needs Christ. This guy really needs Jesus' power in his life. So I had a little short prayer in my head and I said, Lord, be with me. We need to work something with this guy. So I told him, I'm going to do three things. I'm going to read a portion of scripture to you. I want to pray with you. And then I want you to confess Jesus as your Lord. You said, okay, I want to do that. But I want you to know that every time somebody starts reading scripture, I'm becoming aggressive. And it's not that I want. I just cannot control myself. I lose it. Well, I said, we need to read scripture because it's not me who has the power. It's the word of God. Is Jesus in the Word of God that needs to speak to you. So I start reading out loud Ephesians 1. When I got to the verse, in Him we have redemptions through His blood forgives forgiveness of sin. He jumped up. I need to be redeemed. I need His power for the forgiveness of my sins. I need Jesus. I start reading the whole chapter. He was running up and down, very agitated. Not aggressive toward me, but very agitated. When I got to the verse that says the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, He starts shouting again, I believe! I believe in His power! It's the only power that can save me! I got to the last part of the chapter. God placed Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion about every name that is named. And He cannot contain Himself. Jesus is the most powerful name in this universe over all dominions and powers and authorities. Because he knew very well that in that text, the powers, the authorities, the dominions are not earthly powers, but angelic powers, demonic powers, forces that Jesus conquered. I want Jesus. And then I prayed with him and for him. And then I asked him to confess Jesus as his Lord because until then Satan mastered him. Now Jesus is his Lord and he needs to confess it out loud. When I said amen, suddenly he stopped from all of these convulsions and agitation and just, just stopped. And uh, he started sitting down and actually he lay down and he looked at me and he said, Pastor, I am free. I have peace. I'm so tired." And I looked at him and I saw in his eyes and I saw in his face that something really happened. Jesus changed him. Now, don't look at me and think that I'm an exorcist. I've tried my deal with Ken Shaw. His hair doesn't grow. Okay. Uh, The power is not in us. It is in him, in Jesus. Whenever you have a guy that's in, in, in drugs, or is addicted to sex, or in anger, is possessed about some habits and sins in his life, have the courage to read scripture. Pray with him. Because God intervenes. Jesus is powerful when you are there in a spiritual encounter. That's why every time we confess Him, there is power. Every time we try to speak about Him, something happens. There is a war. Every time we try to deal with missions and evangelism, we start a fight. Missions are power encounters. That's why many of us forget that. That's not right. There is a battle. And you or I are in this battle. And if you don't have Jesus... Now listen, if you don't have Jesus, you are in trouble and I'm the most serious I could ever be because beyond this dimension of physical existence, there is a God, there is a spiritual battle and you're in the middle of it. You're not going to be able to survive. You're going to be able to live this life without Jesus in you. That's why you need Jesus. Think about Him. Search for Him. But that's the pattern of mission, spiritual warfare. And I know that if you don't have Jesus, (laughs) uh, right now something is kind of like just crashing in you and you're like... Yeah, that's the way that it is. That's the way that was in me. That was the way it was in every one of us first time we heard about Jesus and our need for Him. There is a spiritual battle in us. But that's the pattern in missions. That's when Jesus comes to you. There is something that changes in you. Second, second element in God's pattern for missions. Nothing happens until we open our mouth. Once you do that, once you start speaking about Christ, hell gets loose and lost at the same time. Because preaching, proclamation, it's another important element in His pattern for missions and evangelism. Look into the text, next verse. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And remember this name, Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for people, say it. So Paul stood up. And motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. And from verse 17 to verse 41. 41, he's preaching, and that's his sermon. We're not going to read it for the sake of time. But Paul is preaching. That's the pattern in missions. Look at verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told. Meaning preached again next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devoted converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who, here it is, as they spoke with them, again proclamation, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord preaching again. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken, preached by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, again, preaching is mentioned, saying, "And you have their sermon, verse 49, "And the word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. Why? Because these guys were speaking, were proclaiming, were preaching. See, preaching is part of missions. Sharing verbally with boldness courage the gospel of Christ. Now that can be done from the pulpit but also can be done on a one-to-one encounter. Why? Look into the text, verse 44. Paul and Barnabas spoke to them as they were walking on the street from the synagogue. It can be done anywhere by anyone sharing your testimony, being a witness about Christ. That's missions. And I'm saying this because there is a trend which is pretty popular that says something like this. You can do missions without words, without speaking about Christ. Oh, they will see it in your actions, in your attitudes, in your works. People will see your goodness, that's true. They will see your sacrifice, that you came from such a long way to simply help them. They will see your money and your hard work, and they will start praising. Who? They'll praise you. Because unless you tell them that you are there not because of some type of a charitable spirit, but you are there because of Christ, first of all, That your whole purpose of helping them is to get them to know Christ. Their focus will be on you and not on Christ. And that's not missions, friends. That's humanitarian work, which is great. But don't call it missions. Because missions and evangelism is when God's word is proclaimed. When Jesus is communicated to people. People need the word. Why? Romans 10, remember? Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And that's scripture. So do all the charitable work you want to do, but make sure you tell people about Christ. People need a word more than any work. This past spring, I went to a village in the mountains, a very isolated place, and I spoke to a group of believers there. And after I preached my sermon, they had the song, and after the song, uh, the old man that was leading the, the worship said, Well, Brother Christian, we're so glad you made it here. So glad for your first sermon. Now you're going to preach to us a second sermon. I'm like, okay. Woo. I had to preach twice in that day. And I wasn't really kind of ready for that. But I did it. And I was happy to do it. Because after that, I went to have lunch with these guys. There were about 15 to 20 old women and men. And right there, as we were having lunch, they came up with a boombox. Now, you have to imagine this. Here are these old Romanians in an isolated mountain place. Uh, Babushkas, horses and carriages. You know, all of these 1900s American ways of life. And here is a boombox, okay? I'm like, what's happening? So. A lady comes and says, "Brother Christian, do you know what is this? This is what feeds us every day." And she pushed the button. Do you know what's this? And I heard a sermon being preached. This is what keeps our faith alive. We listen to every sermon five, six times, and we move this boombox from house to house. We know everything about your family, everything about your church, everything about you. Because we listen to all of your sermons that are ever made on CDs or tapes. And more than that, we know Christ and His Word and that keeps us alive. I know, so humbled. When in the world listens five or six times to the same sermon? The Word gives life. Never hesitate to speak the Word. Use any means to share the Word. A youngster in our church this past December said, hey, why don't you put our church services on the web? Let people hear the word. We gave it a try. Since December, we had more than 100,000 visitors on that webpage. People from 53 countries. Why? Because people are hungry. They want Christ. They need the message. And I want to make a little parenthesis here and speak to you, Harvest. You know what? There is a danger, a major danger, when you have a church where the Word of God is preached with power and boldness. And I truly believe that you are among the very, probably very few churches around this world that every Sunday, every weekend, you have a full plate of food. You know what happens when you get churches like this? You get picky about sermons. Oh, you listen to Moody Radio. Eh, this guy. Ah, <laughs> you start being picky. More than that, you are becoming consumers. Oh, the sermon was so great. So what do you do about it? Come next Sunday to listen to another one. No. You go home and you do something from that sermon. You become consumers. Now, remember that. To whom has been much given shall be much required. We are not called to be just listeners who are called to be doers of the word. You have a big responsibility on our heads. Try to do, try to speak to people about what you are listening here. Once you're willing to do that, God is opening doors. Last year we were praying, Lord, what are we going to do? We want to enhance our ministry. Open doors for us. A guy from a radio station in town came and said, Christian, we just got an FM frequency. It's going to be the first local station in our area. We want you to take how many hours you want and just bring the gospel into the station. So this May, actually this month, we were ready to uh, uh, prepare about 16 hours of broadcasting a week having the word explained, proclaimed, discussed with the listeners. From people from our church, over 500,000 people will be reached by this this station. Then three TV stations in the country, one of them, the fourth rank in the nation, ask us to uh, videotape our services and and place them on their network on Sunday morning, prime time to several millions of Romanians all over the world because they have a satellite. Now pray with us because We don't have the cameras. We don't have the means. This costs money. We need to train people. But here is somebody coming and saying, We want the message. When you have the word, when you have the worship, when you have the prayer, when you have the desire to speak out for God, the Spirit shows up and He opens doors. Watch for those doors. That's the pattern of God in missions. And one more thing. Something you know very well because you've been through. Every time you want to tell somebody about Christ, something happens, doesn't it? Yesterday, I mean, it was like tailored to to my situation. I'm there very nervous. Yesterday I was at Trinity. I graduated with my PhD from there. And here I am. I'm, I'm on the stage and I'm looking at the clock because at 5 o'clock I have to be at Harvest Preaching. And it's 4 o'clock and my name is not called yet. And I'm like, what's happening? What's happening? So I'm going on the stage and get the diploma. I'm just, hello Mr. President! And uh, run to the car, get into the car, and right there! Flat tire! Now, You have to understand that I've been in the States for the past 18 years. I lived in Chicago, in Dallas, I moved back to Romania, back and forth. I had cars, driving all kinds of cars. Never ever I had a flat tire. Yesterday, just before I had to go there and have my little role in the church, flat tire. I looked at it, I was like, "Er," but then I left because I said, hey, it should have happened every time when you want to do something for Christ, something strange has to happen. So God allow me to come and walk from, no, I just take the car from Trinity to harvest and and be there. But look, look into the text, next verse. But the Jews incited a devoted woman of high standing and the leading man of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. And underline the word persecution, that's the third pattern in missions. When you want to share Christ, you'll get in trouble, that's for sure. That's why many Christians don't want to share that's why many churches back off from long-term missions. That's why, may I say this? Short-terms are so popular. Because it doesn't require much sacrifice. You go in and out very fast. They don't even have the time to say or do something against you and you're safe. Now, I don't want to denigrate short-term missions. Because we benefited tremendously from all of the short-term missionaries and teams that you guys have sent to Romania. What I'm saying is people like comfort. And the spirit of missions is exactly the opposite, because mission challenges you. Missions take you out of your context. Missions are hard because missions are power encounters. The people stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, threw them out of their district. But they shook up the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples, look after persecution, were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And that's something very strange, but it's happening. Now at Iconium, chapter 14, verse 1, remember this name also. They entered into the Jewish synagogue, spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But unbelieving Jews stirred up again persecution and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Same pattern. They start preaching, persecution comes, verse 3. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, preaching again, who bore witness to the words of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands, Power encounters. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles, when an attempt was made by both Jews and Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, again persecution. They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And they and there they continued to do what? To preach the gospel, same pattern. Now at Lystra, remember this name too. There was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was scribbled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul intently looked at him and seeing that it faith to be made well said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now that's another power encounter. Because every time when you get healed, get out of drugs, get out of your sex addiction, get out of your anger, every time something happened in you, it's a power encounter. Jesus is winning. And when the crowd saw that Paul had done, they lifted out their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermas, because he was the chief speaker. Even the pagans see that in missions, speaking, preaching is involved. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, They tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, saying. And then again for the next three verses, they're preaching. And what do you expect when you start speaking about the Lord? Trouble, doesn't it? Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. They stoned him. The only time I got close to such an experience was years ago when I preached in a village in Moldova where there was only one believer, a lady in her 50s, a lady that endured a lot for her faith. Imagine this, just the winter before we came there. Some guys from the village came, hang her up upside down in a tree, rip her clothes off, kill the cow, the only source of food she had, and burn the barn in front of her eyes left her there to freeze in the cold winter. When I preached in that village, I was with a group of believers giving Bibles for free. We were walking on the streets singing and sharing about Christ, and many people came to listen. But after a while, the Orthodox priest showed up, and he brought with him some people that he paid drinks, they were drunk, to come and basically kick us out from the village. They picked stones and sticks, broke into the crowd, cursing and yelling. I didn't know what to do. I had the Bible in my hand and I put it up telling them to stop and listen. They start grumbling and cursing. They start approaching. So I raised up my voice and I said, you better stop and listen. I'm not here and we are not here to do damage to your village. We are not here to do all kinds of bad things to you. We are here because we want to bring the Word of God in communism for years. We didn't have the Word of God. We want to bring it for free. That's why we want to speak about God and give you the Word of God. We want to pray for you. Now you can come and you can do all kinds of things against us. That's fine. But remember one thing. If you touch me or any other people from this group, you are touching those that God sent to bring His Word and if you're touching us, you're touching God. If you're touching God, you better watch for yourselves. So they stopped. In that, day, in that time, I knew that something needs to move. Because I saw the priest start coming through the crowd. So I told my guys, I said, listen guys, if this priest is stirring up again, we need to go to our cars and leave the, the village. Well, that's exactly what happened. This priest started coming back again. He got into these guys and... He was just, so we went to the cars and while we were walking to the cars, they pick up stones and sticks and start throwing, breaking the windows of our cars, hitting some of our people, hitting some of the people around. Well, listen, it's not an experience you want to have. But that's the price of missions. Satan will respond. That's why if you plan to go on a mission trip somewhere, expect opposition. Expect opposition. I had people breaking out loud in the middle of my preaching. I had the church where a witch started to scream in the middle of my sermon. Some men had to gather out, and after that I I, I understood it was the witch of that town. As probably James told you, preachers get emails, text messages, phone calls, threats, intimidations, awful language. That's why you need to pray for your pastor. That's why you have those cards. Those cards are not there to just put them on the fridge. Pray for them. There is a spiritual encounter every time when you raise up to speak about Christ. Sometimes it gets dangerous. I had a nightclub in town who threatened me about preaching. About my preaching because they lost a few of their nightclub dancers after they quit, after they listening to some of the sermons I preached somewhere sometime. I had no clue where. Two and a half years ago, after we started the church, there was a letter sent to more than 2,000 churches in our country from some top church official. Warning them not to associate with us because we are a danger for the faith. Why? Because we took a strong stand against the legalism in Eastern Europe, which is one of the strongholds Satan has even in the church. I'm not saying this to see some stuff in me that's unusual. No, no, no. Every missionary, everybody involved in ministry can tell you stories like this. I'm just trying to show you the pattern in missions every time. You want to speak about God. Something happens. But this should not stop you. Look at them. They're persecuted. They walk out. They start singing. They're joyful. And people think, these guys are crazy. Well, the world might think they're crazy. But I'm telling you what, besides risks and battles and problems, there are those moments that the Spirit brings in your life. That presence of God that surpasses all understanding. That joy and fullness of the Spirit that Barnabas and Paul experienced. Not because they are fanatics, not because they are crazy, not because they are brainwashed Christians. But because they experienced the reality of the presence of God. That no stone, no steak, no curse can get you away from. That's why missionaries are staying in the mission field. That's why real Christians are staying on the course. That's why people persevere. Because God is there and you can feel Him. You can can be with Him. And that's the pattern. Power encounter, preaching persecutions. And here we go to the third point. Purpose of missions. Purpose of missions. What's the purpose of missions? You may want to say to save the lost, that's right. But it's just a part of the complete purpose of God in missions. You go and preach and you plant the seed. And you know that parable of the, of the sower, the guy who was sowing the seed. Now, do you remember in that parable, was the percentage of success of, of sowing the seed of, of, uh, uh, of Jesus Christ? What was the percentage of success? Twenty-five percent. Why? Because of the seed? No. Because of the one who sowed it? No. What was the main problem in sowing the seed of the gospel? The soil. The seed cannot grow on rocky soil, on soil with weeds, with birds, with hot sun, the seed needs to grow in good soil. That's why in mission, God's global purpose is not just evangelism sowing the seed, but also preparing the soil so that that seed can be taken care of, it can grow, develop in a healthy plant and multiply. And what's the means, the environment, the best soil to grow a seed into a plant, spiritually speaking? The church. That's why missions is not just about evangelism. It is church planting. That's what's in scripture. Look into the text. After they preach, remember the names in Antioch. Then after they preach in um, Iconium. And then after they preach in Lystra. Look what Paul and Barnabas did. Verse 21, next verse. They return to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. Exactly on the same path. Straightening the soul of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Saying that through, listen, many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And that's not a seeker sensitive message. That's not even a prosperity gospel message. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And now listen, when they got there they appointed elders for them in every church. With prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In each place they evangelized, they also planted the church. Why? Because they knew that there are no Christians without a church, as there could be no church without Christians. It is a given. That's why I'm so glad about the mission philosophy we have here at Harvest. We do missions all the way, not just in part. Not just focusing on evangelism, but on church planting. And that's where we focus and spend most of our time. Why? Because that's God's purpose in mission. Saving souls and giving them a good soil. A new church in which they can grow. That's funny, isn't it? Chapter 13 verse 1. Starts, missions start in the church. Chapter 14, last verses, they end up with new churches. That sandwich that God has for missions between church. Church, that's God's plan, that's God's purpose, that's God's pattern. The mission of the church is missions. Now, you might say, okay, now um, I know all this theory, theory, maybe you know, I I learned something today, but um, what does this have to do with me? Well, it has to do a lot. Because in God's kingdom there is no welfare. Everybody has a job. Missions is for you. And in your notes, don't write you, write me. Missions is for me. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Look up. First of all, missions is for all of you Barnabas and Saul of Harvest Bible Chapel. To those of you who don't have the time because you are so busy. Oh, you are so gifted. You have an overwhelming plate in front of you. You already have a ministry. You are part-time, full-time in it. That ministry hangs on you. You just cannot leave. That's what I say. Well, I don't think God says that. Look into the church of Antioch. Who did a spirit set apart from all the ministers in the church of Antioch? Paul and Barnabas. The two best and most busy people. No one was more popular than Paul. No one was more needed than Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And those two people God set apart and sent. You and your gifts are needed in many other parts of the world. Why not you? Do you think that your ministry or your church will fail if you leave for two weeks or two months for a mission trip every year? No. The church and your ministry does not rely on you. It relies on God. And we better remember that. But God relies on your gifts for some mission projects He has for you. Because there are places in this world where only you can be of help. Because you are the best in what you are doing. And in mission, God needs the best. Somehow, somewhere, Somebody, and I know who, placed the concept, the concept of the missionary barrel. When you think of missions, you think of missionary barrel. What's that? Hey, honey, uh, do you know those pants that I never used in the past five years? Why don't we just give it to missions? That tie, you know, that tie, I don't like it. Just put it to missions. Or do you have some more of that stuff from Sam's Club? Just throw it to missions. Brothers, missions are not second hand matters. On God's plan, they are first prime time best thing to do. Paul and Barnabas are chosen. Mission needs Barnabas and Sauls. And I want to thank some Paul's and Barnabas from Harvest who took from their precious time to come to Romania and give their best to us. Andy and Rory, James and Dr. Stoll, Donna Hart, Ken Shaw, Jeff Donaldson, some great young people in our camps, great constructors, stylers, painters. I want to thank Harvard for giving us your best. But you might say, hey, (laughs) I'm not the Paul. I'm not the James. I cannot preach. I can only cook or carry luggage. I can follow but not lead. Or you're on the right track. How do I know? Look into the text, Acts 13, look at verse 5. Verse 5, Acts 13, the last part of the verse. A little sentence. And they, Barnabas and Paul, had John to assist them. The two stars had little John to assist them. Do you read anything else about little John in this passage? No. Everything is about these two big stars, Paul and Barnabas. Great works. Guess what? John was there with them, for them, by them every step of the way. Oh, they could speak. They could get up even after they were stoned. They could move on because there was somebody there always to assist, to help, to take care of them. And that was John. Oh, he might have carried their luggage. He might have cooked for them. He might have run off to shop or find housing for them. Do their emails, whatever. But John was there. And you could be there too, to assist, to help. Because in missions, there are no Rambos, no Lone Rangers, no Superman. Missions are done in teams. Teams that have Barnabas and Pauls, but have lots of people like John around them. So if you know how to build, to work, with wood, paint, cook, clean, even just carry the luggage. You're on for missions because missions need people like John. Like you. But Christian, I can't move. I have back problems. I know I have a hernia, disc hernia. Actually somebody from your church is treating me these days. Uh, I, I, I don't do well with time zones. You know, I'm too old. I can't go overseas. Can you pray? What if when teams from here go in summer missions, you try to kind of search a little bit their schedule and see when they leave. And if they leave on June 2nd and come on June 12th for those 10 days, You commit to yourself, you put it on your bathroom, you put it on the door of your refrigerator. These days, every day I'm going to pray for these missions going to China, to Romania, to Liberia, to whatever. Pray for them. Why? Because they are power encounters. You have a harvest web page right there on front, first page. There is a monthly prayer calendar about all of your church plans and their pastors or your missionaries. You have no idea how much your prayer counts. Remember, it's a spiritual warfare registered as a prayer partner. You can pray, you can be a John. Can you give? Missions cannot be done unless there is some giving. All of your new church plans need financial help. Especially in this crisis, which by the way, it might be the crisis in the world, but it shouldn't be in the church. Why? Because in the book of Acts and in the New Testament I observe, and you can observe for yourself, the people of God gave more in times of of a crisis than in times of peace and prosperity. Why? Because they knew that the best return investment in crisis is to give to God. Giving to God is a great test of your faith and a great help for missions because anyhow everything comes